last Lord's Day when we were together, I spoke to you about resolutions we could make as a congregation for this new year, one of which was to grow constantly, to learn constantly of the Lord. And as part of the follow-up to that sermon, I was asked um, in our question and answer period about some suggestions for getting started in a, a program of growth as a Christian and getting to know the Word of Christ better. And I've decided that what I would do is uh, present that uh, program to you uh, this morning and preach to you on the uh, subject of studying God's Word, and then we'll return to our regular series when I um, come back, Lord willing, from my trip to the East. Our scripture reading is found in John, the 8th chapter. We'll look at only two verses, verses 31 and 32, John chapter 8. Hear now God's word. <clears throat> Jesus therefore said to those Jews that had believed him, If you abide in my word, then are you truly my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And thus far the reading of God's Word. This morning I want to begin by asking a question for your reflection. The answer to the question should be rather obvious, but the reason for the answer is what I want you to probe here for a few moments. I am assuming uh, that most of you during this last week did not go down to the Department of Motor Vehicles or to some driving school and brush up on your driving lessons. Am I right about that? Anybody here decide to go? And I think I'll learn a little bit more about driving this week. No, you didn't. Now, stop and think for a moment with me. Why didn't you go and learn more about driving this week? Let's be theoretical for a second. Is there anybody here in the room who thinks he or she knows everything there is to know about driving and cannot improve at all? I don't think anybody would be so arrogant as to say that. All of us know that, in a theoretical sense, we could know more about driving. We could know the traffic laws better. We could, we could develop certain skills better. Some of you are not great at parallel parking, whatever it may be. Everyone here could improve somewhat in their driving skills and understanding. So why didn't you bother to make it a priority this week to study more about driving, to learn more about driving? What is the rationale for that? Well, I think you probably know. The reason why you didn't bother to get more lessons on driving is because you say, though I could know a bit more, theoretically everybody can improve somewhat, the fact is I know enough to get by. That is to say, I am capable to get the things done that I want to get done, and so I don't bother doing a lot of extra study about driving. I'm okay as far as I go. And I can do most of everything that I want. Now, when you get a ticket, you may wish that you had spent a little bit of time, but even then, getting a ticket doesn't usually make people study the, the vehicle code or to work on driving skills. We usually say, well, I just got nailed, and that's one of those chance things that happens when we put it aside. The fact is, once you start driving, you don't study very much more because you don't figure you need to. And if you were to be asked, could you improve, you'd say yes, but... I don't need to improve, I know enough to get by. Now I'm going to start all over again. Let me ask you whether this week you engaged in extensive, high-priority study of God's Word. For most of you, the answer is no, you did not. 
even though we talked about it last week. Many of you on the Lord's Day made commitments to study the Scripture more, to get more serious with the Lord, and this week you didn't do it. I'm not saying that to put you down because you're worse than any other congregation. That's just what I've learned from experience of being a pastor. It's easy to make commitments. It's not so easy to follow them through. Now let me ask you, and this is, of course, where the, um, where the weight of judgment ought to drop if you're following me. Why didn't you brush up on God's Word? And is the answer similar to why you didn't brush up on the vehicle code? And I want to suggest to you, sadly, detrimentally, that yes, it is. That most of you figure, I'm okay as far as I go. I have enough to get me by. Yes, I could know more. All of you would admit that. I'd say, well, could you understand the Bible better? Could you know the system of doctrine better? Could you know how to defend it better? Could you see things in your life that could be improved in terms of living out the Scripture? You'd all say yes. But what you don't say outwardly, though you do implicitly say it day by day, is, but I don't need to improve that much. And I'm here to share a very simple message with you. You're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. You're probably right about the vehicle code. You're probably right about your driving skills. You can get by. But it is a false analogy to think that, well, I can get by as a Christian without studying God's Word, without being intense in my devotion to knowing Him better. This morning we sang as part of our praise and in, in worship from Psalm 19. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 19. the 19th Psalm, the psalmist compares the revelation of God in the created order and its beauty and power to the revelation of God in the scriptures. And he makes the transition to the written revelation of God in verse 7 where we read, and we sang this earlier, the law of the Lord is perfect. My translation says restoring the soul. We sang converting the soul. The testimony of Jehovah is sure making wise the simple. Let's just focus on this one verse for a few moments here. What does the Word of God do? Of the many things that could be said, this verse tells us that the law of the Lord, in its perfection, converts the soul. Brothers and sisters, you need to be converted. And don't get me wrong, you probably have heard that language when it comes to the time of initial... Uh, change from a lifestyle of selfishness and ignoring of God and, and not knowing of one's sin to turning to God and confessing sin. But we need to be converted, not just at the beginning of our Christian experience, we need to be converted every day. Am I right? Examine your own lives. Are you not tempted every day to ignore the Lord, to live for yourself, to follow the ways of the world, to think worldly thoughts? to have worldly ambitions and worldly priorities? Do you not find yourself wandering from God? Now, if you think that you aren't, then you really need to do a lot more soul-searching with the Bible in hand because the Bible tells you you are prone to wander. And if you are so complacent as to not be unhappy with the fact that so often in your life you find yourself not doing the things that you should do. You're not at all like the Apostle Paul. In Romans 7, Paul says, O wretched man that I am, the things that I would do, I don't do. The things that I know I shouldn't do, I do. 
Every day we need to be converted. We need to turn from ourselves and turn from the world and turn from the evil one to the Lord. And how do we do that? What will help you to maintain that hunger and thirst for righteousness that turns you to God and away from the things which are detrimental not only to the glory of God but to your good spiritually? What does that? The Bible tells us it is the scripture itself, the law of the Lord. It restores the soul. It converts the heart. With sadness, I tell you, it is true of my own life, that where I get further away from studying the scripture, I get more complacent in my spirituality. And I more easily fall prey to besetting sin. God's word is crucial to us that we be converted every day. It's not like learning to drive. And the testimony of Jehovah is sure, making wise the simple. This verse tells us that our being simpletons, being simple means to be a fool. And that which gives us wisdom and turns us from our foolishness is the sure testimony of God. When God stops and solemnly speaks and declares to us who he is and what's wrong with us and what we need, and how we are to follow him, we need to pay attention to that, or what? We become stupid, spiritually stupid, dull and insensitive. We are wayward. We make silly mistakes. We do things, you'll find yourself doing things, saying, I know that I shouldn't be doing this. I know better than this. But what's the problem? The problem is you have wandered from the sure testimony of God. If you would be made wise, you must draw close to the one who is God only wise. You must know the Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom is deposited all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, according to Paul in Colossians, the second chapter. Every day we need to stop being fools. Every day we need to change our lifestyle and turn back to the Lord. Every day, therefore, we need Scripture. If you did not this week make it an endeavor to get to know God better and to study his word, it's because you sadly have much too high an opinion of yourself as a Christian. You do not understand the wickedness of the world. You do not understand your own complacency. You do not understand your own foolishness. Because if you did, you would run to that source that would convert the soul. You would run to that source that would make wise the simple. You would turn to God's word and you would cling to it. You didn't brush up on your driving lessons this week and you didn't brush up on God's word. Only one of those is a life and death matter. I don't know, I suppose when we get ill we turn to more morbid thoughts and start thinking about what the meaning of life is. I've been very sick this week. Yesterday, I didn't know. Boy, it was death warmed over. You know, when you start thinking about your weakness and how you've spent your life and what you're doing, you know, if you're a Christian, I think the thing that really hits you is you have spent so much time in vain pursuits, so much time in futile projects, so much time in pleasing yourself rather than getting to know the God who made you and remade you and is looking forward to living with you forever. We just don't have our priorities right. 
Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 to 9, tells us something about obsession, and I want you to take this home with you today. Deuteronomy 6, beginning at the 6th verse. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon thy heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in my house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be for frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the doorpost of thy house, and upon thy gates. Moses, here speaking for the Lord to the people of God, says, you are to be obsessed with my word. These words that I command you, this revelation that I've given you, is to totally consume your life. Now you all know what kind of obsession is being spoken of here. We usually make fun of it. You'll sometimes see it portrayed in movies. You have somebody, um, let's say a, a young man falls in love with a, a young lady, and what does he tend to do? He tends to put her picture everywhere, right? Have reminders of her, and so forth. Now if, if you knew somebody who was in love with somebody else, and you saw pictures of them all over their apartment or all over their house, you know, so they'd be reminded when they go into the kitchen and when they go into the bedroom and when they're sitting and reading and so forth, they're always, you would say, well, boy, he must really love her. God says, that's the way I want you to love me. I want you to write my law on the doorpost of your house and on the gates of your city. I want you to talk about it when you rise up. I want you to talk about it when you go to bed at night. I want you to teach your children. And when you're walking in the way, and when you're going out, when you're coming in. So, all day long, every waking moment, I want you to have my word before you. In fact, so much do I want that. The Jews took this literally. It shouldn't have been taken literally. But God says, using a figure of speech, I want my law written on your forehead and on your hand so that everything you think and everything you do is a reminder of me and is guided by my wisdom and my instruction to you. God says very simply here, I want you obsessed with my word. Are you obsessed with God's word? The sad fact is you can put your Bible down and not read it for two days and not pick it up, right? Now I'm going easy on you, aren't I? Because you know you can go five days. Some of you can go a week. Some of you have gone a month, haven't you? Apart from coming to church and opening the Bible, or maybe going to Bible study, you have not picked up the Bible on your own and seriously considered it. I don't consider it serious study of the Bible when you say, well, I guess I'm supposed to put in some religious time today, so now what shall I read? And we open it up and go, hmm, okay. Well, that's probably better than nothing. I say probably. I'm not terribly convinced that it's helpful. But in terms of saying, I'm going to give some quality time to knowing my God, the one who made me, the one who redeemed me, the one who's going to bring me home to glory someday, you just haven't done that. Far from being obsessed, having God's word everywhere, literally on the doorpost of your house, when you rise up, when you go to bed at night, when you go in and out and so forth, on your forehead, on your hand, everywhere, your Bible collects dust. You ever had the embarrassing experience having to dust your Bible before you go to church for fear that somebody might see that it hasn't been used? Ever had the embarrassing experience of buying a Bible and never seeing it worn out because it's just not used? By the way, it's a fact of life. You use a book every day, you'll wear it out. 
They haven't found a way of binding books yet that you can't wear them out. How many Bibles have you worn out? Well, my guess is you've probably worn out quite a few TVs. You've worn out quite a few basketballs. You've worn out a lot of other things that are of interest to us as human beings, but you haven't worn out your Bible because you're not obsessed with it. Just like the vehicle code, you think, well, I've got enough under my belt that I can get by. So I'd like to offer four reasons for you today to think about getting serious about studying God's Word. No more resolutions made on the Lord's Day and not followed through, but something to really get you going here. Four reasons for why you should regularly study the Bible. First of all, God's Word is our spiritual sustenance. Matthew 4, verse 4. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You understand the first part of this, what it means to live by bread? Well, if you do not put fuel into your physical body, it dies. Most of us don't really existentially understand that because we eat so well. I've had a few occasions, especially with my surgeries, where I know that if I don't have fuel, batteries are just going to go out. That's all there is to it. You've got to eat to live. And Jesus says you don't live by bread alone. It's not just biological life that's important. You must live by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. Every word. This is not like the vehicle code. Everything God has said is to be crucial to us. It's vital to our living. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What the psalmist tells us here indirectly is that if we don't have the word of God, then we stumble along in darkness. We're not able to know where to go, where to step, how to live our lives. We don't have the strength or the guidance we need without scripture. Now, do you believe that? Or is God just saying this and he doesn't mean it? You must live by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. You must have it or you walk in darkness. Now, if you do believe that, and you don't study your Bible every day, if you don't have a program for knowing God better, then aren't you basically saying, frankly, stumbling along is just fine with me. Spiritual weakness is just fine with me. I've got enough to get by. We have so often, I think, in American Christian culture, bought into the revivalist mentality that we have the idea that if I have my ticket to heaven, that's all that counts. I may be in the caboose. I may not be up in the first class seats, but I'm on the train to heaven, and that's all that counts. The Bible tells you that if that's your mentality, you're probably not on the train at all. You're not alive. Those who have new lives given to them by Christ, by his grace and power, 
are going to long for God's word. Their longing is going to be very strong. Here's what Peter likens it to. 1 Peter 2, verses 2 and 3. As newborn babies long for the spiritual milk, which is without guile, that you may grow thereby unto salvation, if you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If you really have experienced the grace of God, then like a newborn child, you're going to long for his word. You know many children that are complacent about getting milk after they've been born? They're not complacent at all. They scream for it. How about you? Is that, is that true of you? You go through a week when sickness or, or duty or something has gotten in the way of studying the Word of God and you just feel like, no, I've got to have more Scripture. Please take me seriously. If you do not have that kind of desire for God's Word, you had better ask yourself whether you have a desire for God. If you're not just assuming that you've got a ticket to heaven, and it makes no difference what class you're traveling. You may not be traveling in the right direction at all. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. It will turn you around, make you travel the right way. A second reason why you need to get serious about studying God's Word is that the Bible tells us that God's Word is desirable. Again, look at Psalm 19, now verses 7 to 11. <coughs> Psalm 19, verses 7 to 11. The law of Jehovah is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of Jehovah is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Jehovah are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Jehovah is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Jehovah is clean, enduring forever. The ordinances of Jehovah are true and righteous altogether. Now listen, folks. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the droppings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. I know this is a step on the toes sermon, and in one sense I apologize for that, but it's for your good that I bruise you. One of the reasons you don't study the Word of God regularly, avidly, consistently, fervently, is because you don't see the delight of God's Word. C.S. Lewis uses an image, a very powerful one at one point in his writing, of a banquet being laid out with all the best meats and foods and delicacies and so forth, just this wonderful thing. And yet because people don't have eyes and taste buds for such a thing, they ignore it. Don't you see how good God's Word is? Don't you see what the psalmist says here, that it is more to be desired than gold? More to be desired than gold? Is that really the way you live your life? My guess is you would much rather have gold than more time to study the Bible. If you had the opportunity to get ahead at work and to get a raise, maybe a substantial raise, would allow you to buy a vacation home or a boat or the greatest entertainment center that's uh, available. If you were offered that, 
but it would cut into your time for reading the Bible. My guess is you would take the gold. You'd go with the material advances and pleasures and desires of this world. The psalmist says more to be desired than gold is God's word. Do you love God's word? I talked about it being your sustenance in point one. In this point, this one I talk, do you enjoy it? Do you like it? Does it please you? Does it enlighten your eyes? Do you find it sweet to the taste? Are you glad that you have time to read God's word? If you were glad, you would make time for it. Because I know you make time for the things you enjoy. That's just human nature. The things that give us pleasure, we pursue. And if you're not pursuing God's word, that should say to you, perhaps I don't find pleasure in it. Because if I took pleasure in it, if I found pleasure in it, I'd pursue it. It wouldn't be a matter of duty. And see, that's the sad thing, is when I get done with this message today, I may have turned some of you into people that have been guilt-manipulated into reading your Bibles. But what I want you to do is not read your Bible just out of a sense of guilt and duty. Oh, if I'm a Christian, I really should do this. I want you to read your Bibles because you enjoy God's Word. You say, I'm so glad to know God better. Look at this. I had never thought about Him this way. Look at this reminder of His wonder and majesty, of His grace and goodness to me. Look at how Jesus lived. Here's a theological insight I'd never had before. Here's an answer to a moral dilemma that I hadn't uh, realized. Something that you look forward to. God's word must become your desire. And then you'll make time for it. God's word must be your constant attention and your delight. What does Paul say in Romans 7 verse 22? For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Paul, in the midst of the discussion of the torment of not doing the things that he knows that he should do and vice versa, he says, nevertheless, it is true in my inward man I delight in the law of God. Is that your delight too? Thirdly, thirdly, God's word is powerful. It's not simply our spiritual sustenance. It's not simply our desire. But it's a very powerful thing. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and quick to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God is living and active. It's a powerful thing. The Word of God discerns us. I think I've told you before, I'll repeat it again here. We need to understand that when we read the Bible, it's not just that we discern the Bible and judge the Bible and assess it, but the Bible is assessing us and is reading our hearts. And we need that powerful work and we need that powerful work in our lives even when we're not learning something new in the sense that I can answer more questions of theology or ethics. It's not just that the Bible gives me information. It's that the Bible also empowers my living with that information. And so when I read things that I already know, the Bible is still discerning me. Like a sharp two-edged sword, it's still cutting into me. It's still doing a work within me. 
Because the Bible doesn't simply change our lives by giving us truth. It does that. Praise God. But it gives us truth that carries dynamic power as well. Indeed, it's God's word that sets us apart from the world. Look at John 17, verse 17. John 17, 17. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer before going to the cross, prays, sanctify them by the truth. Thy word is truth. It's the word of God, the truth of God's word that sanctifies us. To sanctify means to set apart or to consecrate. Have you ever thought about your life and why it so easily blends in with the lives of everyone around you, those who don't love the Lord, why you fit so well into the ways of the world, why you're so indifferent to God, why you find it so easy to go the way of uh, rebellion or um, disobedience to the Lord? Because you're not sanctified by the word of truth. It's scripture that makes us different. Isn't it true that if you were obsessed with God's word in the way that we've been talking about today, the people would know there's a difference in your life. You wouldn't be comfortable doing things that you now do. You wouldn't laugh at the same jokes that you laugh at. You wouldn't find entertaining the same things you find entertaining. You'd draw closer to the Lord. And the things you'd want to talk about would be less of your own desires and more of God's desires. Why aren't you sanctified? Because the word of God is not setting you aside. It's scripture that makes you different. It has the power to read you. It has the power to sanctify you and to set you apart. So why should you get serious about studying scripture? Because scripture is your sustenance spiritually. Because it should be a matter of desire. You should delight in knowing God and reading his word. Thirdly, because scripture is powerful. It sets you aside and sanctifies you. And fourthly, because God's word is crucial to being a Christian. In our scripture reading this morning in John the 8th chapter, Jesus puts it very clearly when he turns to those who have believed. Actually, though it says they believed, I think the reading there should be that they had made a profession of believing in him. And so now Jesus really separates the men from the boys, as we say. He says, so you believe in me? You want to follow me? Well, if you abide in my word, then you're truly my disciples and shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Those who follow me and believe in me are known by this, that they abide in my word. They don't take it for granted that my word's just like the vehicle code. They don't just take it for granted that everything's all right in their lives, and they don't need to be converted every day, sanctified every day, that they don't need to have their foolishness driven away so they can be made wise in the things of the Lord. If you follow me, then you'll live in my word. You'll remain there. That'll be the very context of your life. If we are disciples of Jesus Christ, we must learn of him. And you don't learn of him by sleeping in an extra half hour. You don't learn of him by preferring to listen to the radio or watch TV when you could be studying his word. You don't learn of Jesus when you ignore the words that he speaks and has left for you. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16, Paul tells us that we have the mind of Christ. But of course, we can't have the mind of Christ 
if the word of Christ doesn't dwell in us richly. We can't think the way Jesus thinks if we ignore what his word says. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, we're told to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. But every one of my thoughts can't be obedient to Christ if they haven't been informed and guided, curbed and directed by what Jesus tells me in his word. Having God's word and studying it is crucial to being a Christian. Having the mind of Christ and bringing every thought captive to him. He said, Dr. Bonson, you don't need to convince me. I'm convinced. What shall I do? I'm glad you asked that question. I have some sheets that I'd like to pass out to you here. Where I can give you some suggested books for growing as a Christian. I remember back um, when I had to, not by choice, but nevertheless had to learn how to cook. All of a sudden, that duty was dropped on me, and um, I know many of you will think that it's just a joke, but it's not a joke. I didn't know where to begin. I mean, I could burn water. I was so bad in the kitchen. I needed someone to tell me just the first steps. Now, I think I've gotten better. I mean, I can barbecue now. I can make a few things, and every once in a while, my children even enjoy what I prepare for them. But... Um, I couldn't have gotten started without somebody saying, well, here's how you can do this or that. And if I can do that for you, if I can just get you cooking here and studying God's word, then I'll be happy to overcome, you know, that hump. Sometimes you got the motivation, but you don't know which steps to take. And so I've got the very readable. I suggest you could hardly do better than to work through them. To know something about the distinctives of the Reformed faith, Steele and Thomas's book, the five points of Calvinism lays out what the nature of the Calvinist system is and numerous scripture texts to uh, back it up. Sinclair Ferguson, Know Your Christian Life, is a nice summary, especially of our redemptive doctrines. Everyone should know something about the church. I would recommend you pick up R.B. Kuyper's The Glorious Body of Christ. And of the numerous things that are available on last things and the church's relationship to the world. Kenneth Gentry's The Greatness of the Great Commission is a, a nice starting point for putting into orthodox, biblical perspective our view of the future and the church's role in changing the world. Real quickly, some things on Christian living. Some of you may want to start here because there are things about your own life you want to get you know, down and practical right away and learn some things. Jerry Bridges, The Pursuit of Holiness. It's a great starting point to talk about sanctification and walking as a Christian. The Fruit of the Spirit by John Sanderson I have found helpful uh, for changing our attitudes and uh, developing godly character traits. If you want to know something about the way in which the devil works on you, a brilliant work by C.S. Lewis, Screwtape Letters, explores temptation and, and how... Um, it's actually a series of letters from a senior devil to a junior devil on how to bring down this new convert that he's been assigned to. Wayne Mack has another study guide on how to pray effectively. Um, there are plenty of books on evangelism. Start with Stots Are Guilty Silence. Then a book that I recommend a lot in counseling because a lot of Christian counseling has to do with people that are hurting. I know a lot about that. And in my own um, hurts, 
Uh, I found Jerry Bridges' book, Trusting God Even When Life Hurts, um, a real godsend. Not because he taught me any new theology. I probably know more theology than that's in the book, but it's packaged and communicated in such a way that it really was refreshing to my soul. Uh, if you get down and uh, discouraged, this would be a good thing to look at. And then getting into Christian ethics, you can begin with a simple presentation, uh, my book, By This Standard, The Authority of God's Law Today. Then finally, you have some suggestions for getting up and getting started with defending the faith. Dr. Van Til's booklet, Why I Believe in God, is extremely easy reading. And if you don't see what the argument is after you read it, come see me, and I'll talk to you about it, and it will, it will finally come to you how brilliant, how strong this approach to defending the faith is. I've listed my introduction to apologetics, short chapters, biblically oriented. You don't have to be a philosophy major to understand this. If you want to go a little bit further, Gary DeMar's book, Surviving College Successfully, whether you're going to college or not, is an excellent book to pick up. Part one deals with the encounter with non-Christian worldviews. And then um, some detail on the reliability of the Bible, a good place to start. F.F. Bruce, the New Testament documents, are they reliable? Notice as well that under Christian doctrine, the three books by Machen deal with issues that have been brought up in the 20th century, um, attacks on Orthodox Christian theology. All right, so this morning we have talked about what should motivate you to get started. I've given you a map, some suggestions on how you can do that. Really, the only question now is for you before God stop and ask do I know enough of the vehicle manual that I can ignore this I don't need to brush up or do you believe in your heart of hearts you need wisdom and daily conversion you need sustenance do you need to know the delight of what God has given you the power to sanctify you and the true guide of Christian discipleship let's make our New Year's resolution more than just something we say on Sunday Father, do forgive us for the fact that we so often become obsessed with our own interests and our own desires. And the fact of the matter is, we give you very little time. Forgive us for that sin. Forgive us for putting other things before you. Forgive us for breaking the first commandment. Forgive us for not taking true delight in what you have given us. Forgive us for not having the taste buds we need to follow your word and to want it desperately. Forgive us for so often having vain resolves to change our lifestyle and priorities and to study your word and then never following through. Forgive us and give us your spirit that today those resolutions we make will truly be kept. Help us to get up and to get started and to begin a lifelong journey of knowing you better because we'll live with you forever. For we pray in your blessed name. Amen.